Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is always good to hang out with you. Happy to have you here today. We are doing a deep dive educational 101 style episode today. I know that y'all like the quickies. I like the quickies. And I think we all like them because a lot of the value in this show is making science understandable and digestible and accessible. So these short little 101 style episodes are the best way to introduce you to a topic that we may have talked about, we may have heard them in passing, and you just need some more information. Today's episode is on environmental racism. To be frank, I am shocked with myself that we haven't done a short deep dive episode on the topic of environmental racism and what it is and what it entails, because I consider equity one of the major pillars or themes of this show. Equity is so important in all of the conversations that we have, and we have a lot of conversations. I would say probably about a fifth of our conversations revolve around equity and how it intersects with different parts of the climate space or the environmental space in general. So that being said, I have a lot of content for you. If you are just wanting to deep dive on a particular aspect of today's episode, I'll have a whole bunch of links in the show notes to other episodes that I've shared conversations, interviews, other deep dives, so that you can better get to know some of these big overarching themes. These quickie 101 episodes are really meant to function like a Cliff's Notes almost. It just gives you enough to understand a topic and then you can go and deep dive on your own with whatever else it is that you're looking for. If you enjoy this episode, if you find it valuable, you can share it with a friend, send it in the group chat, share it with your mom, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify and all of that fun stuff. All of my links are always in the show notes, and I really like to hear what you want out of the podcast. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about one of our sponsors, Oregon State University eCampus. With sustainability at the heart of its mission, Oregon State strives to create healthier people and a healthier planet. Joshua Chan Burgos embodied that mission while earning his bachelor's degree in sustainability online from OSU eCampus. His life experiences have taken him from his native Puerto Rico to Asia to Ohio to Florida Studying online and traveling the world taught him practical ways to make an impact, like advanced techniques in sustainable agriculture or how to create an ecological restoration plan. Like so many Oregon State graduates, Joshua now uses those skills he gained online not only to impact his local community, but also his career. You can follow in Joshua's footsteps by turning the study of plants, animals, or the environment into a rewarding new career. Oregon State delivers a variety of degree programs in conservation and natural sciences that offer the training you need to help protect our natural world. Learn more about how you can make your impact at ecampus.oregonstate.edu/ecochic. 
Again, that's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash ecochic. Let's just get into it, what you came here for. What is environmental racism? Environmental racism is a concept in the environmental justice movement used to describe environmental injustices that occur upon BIPOC communities, both in practice and in policy. Quick side note, BIPOC is an acronym that stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. I'll be using it throughout today's episode, and I feel like it's an acronym that we use pretty widely now, so if you haven't heard it before, now you know what it stands for. The underlying understanding of environmental racism is that race is the most significant predictor of a person living near contaminated air, water, or soil. Let that sink in for a minute because it is a major, major concept. Someone's race may very well determine whether or not they have access to safe water, safe living conditions, their proximity to contaminated lands. This is an extremely well-researched and well-documented scientific fact. I'll go ahead and link some papers and articles in the show notes, as always. Please understand that the concept of environmental racism is not a theory, it is a fact. We can break down this definition a little bit further and start visualizing environmental racism with a couple of examples. My personal favorite example to give when I am first introducing the concept of environmental racism to people is that communities near landfills, hazardous waste facilities, and sources of pollution runoff are likely mainly home to Black, Indigenous, or people of color, BIPOC communities. The waste of society needs to exist somewhere, whether that is physical landfill waste, or if it's runoff, or if it is just some sort of power plant or industrial facility. Those need to exist somewhere, and people that live near there are not likely the Kim Kardashians of society. Now, I'm a numbers girl, so I got some numbers for you. BIPOC individuals are exposed to nitrogen dioxide at an average rate of 38% higher than white individuals. African Americans are more than twice as likely as white folk to live in a home with substandard plumbing. And more than 1% of black people live in houses without potable water and modern sanitation, compared to less than 0.5% of white people. To quickly recap those numbers for you and just further understand what environmental racism looks like, we are seeing higher levels of toxic fumes, of poor living conditions, and of poor access to sanitation resources in Black communities. Again, not a theory. This is fact. This is very well documented and well researched. And if part of you is like, oh, I get it, but Laura, why isn't there more white people out in these areas with toxic facilities and really poor living conditions? Let me remind you that a big part of environmental racism is the concept that this happens not only in practice, but also in policy. So I want to talk for a sec about redlining. In the 1930s in America, federal housing agents redlined black neighborhoods. So that literally means they took a map and labeled black neighborhoods in red markers, effectively locking black people into really dense city centers while supporting white people fleeing to more pleasant suburbs. And this is what we call white flight. I will share some photos on social media of screenshots of these redlined neighborhood maps. A really good example of environmental racism in BIPOC communities in dense city centers that you may be familiar with is that of the South Bronx and childhood asthma. I found two data points for this, and I'm going to give you the lower number because while it is still extremely shocking, I'd rather be safe than sorry than give you some false information. 
the rate of childhood asthma in the Bronx is 20% higher than the rates of asthma anywhere else in the U.S. among children. The other number that I found is that childhood asthma rates in the South Bronx are more than 12 times the national average. The South Bronx has actually been nicknamed Asthma Alley. That's how bad it is. This is a community that is very, very heavily made up of BIPOC individuals. It's an immigrant community. It is a Black community. It is a Hispanic community. And it is also very often used to better understand the really stark difference between rich and poor cities in the U.S. We are not overly concerned with kids in Manhattan contracting asthma. We are not overly concerned for all of the characters on Gossip Girl because they had childhood asthma. This is an immigrant community. It is a poor community. And it also happens to be a community that sees a lot of construction, of poor air quality, of poor sanitation conditions, of densely organized affordable housing units that are not maintained. The South Bronx is a wonderful, unfortunate example of environmental racism. We are going to zoom out a little bit further out of New York City, and we're going to talk about Superfund sites for a second. Superfund sites, if you've never heard of them before, let me tell you, they are America's most hazardous waste sites. Superfund sites are locations with unsafe, unhealthy levels of environmental contamination, like toxic dump sites. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably like, there's not that many toxic dump sites that have entire communities living on top of them. Let me tell you something. There are over 1,800 identified Superfund sites in the U.S. There are two lists, essentially, of Superfund sites. There's a regular list of Superfund sites, like they're bad, but they're not the worst of the worst. And then there is the national priorities list. And guess what? 70% of the country's Superfund sites that are listed on the national priorities list are located within a mile of government-assisted housing. Who lives in government-assisted housing? Let me tell you, 43% of public housing tenants are Black, and 21% are Latino. Tenants living near Superfund sites are identified predominantly as people of color, children, elderly, and disabled people. Just to quickly recap, that means that there are understood hazardous waste sites that poor communities are essentially forced to live next to because that's where the affordable housing is. Quick break to tell you about our sponsors today. Not all probiotics are created equal. One of my big goals for this year was to heal my gut and just get more in sync with my body. And I knew I needed to try Seed's Daily Symbiotic. A daily symbiotic is a broad-spectrum two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic in one simple little capsule. Seed's proprietary formula of 24 distinct probiotic strains are delivered in a proprietarily engineered capsule that protects probiotics through digestion to ensure delivery to the colon. If you've ever taken a probiotic before and never felt a difference, it's likely because the good bacteria wasn't surviving your GI tract. Seed is designed differently, and that's why it works. One of the big reasons I was so attracted to Seed as a brand is because everything is scientifically studied and proven, and all the data is right there for you as a consumer to know that you're getting the very best of the best. A daily symbiotic supports benefits in and beyond the gut. So yes, Seed will ease bloating, healthy regularity, ease of evacuation, if you know what I mean. But it will also support your gut barrier, your skin health, your heart health, and micronutrient synthesis. 
I mentioned to y'all earlier, I've really been working to get to know my body a little bit better and really get a hold of my gut health this year, but I don't wanna try a whole bunch of stuff that just doesn't work. I don't have the patience to wait around for months to figure out if a probiotic is right for my body, and I also want to make sure that I'm supporting a brand that, again, is scientifically backed and it's really doing the work to prove efficacy, but also to prove that they are constantly improving and ensuring that they're giving you the best of the best for your body. A lot of people see improvement in digestion within 24 to 48 hours with the Seed Daily Symbiotic. That was a major selling point to me. Improvements can include bowel movement regularity and eased bloating. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash ecochic and use code ecochic to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash ecochic and use code ecochic. Sometimes doing less can lead to so much more. Dipsy Stories believes in less analyzing and more feeling your feelings, less stressing and more easing into things, less scrolling and more savoring the moment less pressure and more pleasure if you're looking to heat things up there is a story waiting for you dipsy stories is an app full of sexy audio stories and now they even have brand new written stories no matter what you're into or what turns you on dipsy helps bring the stories to life anytime anywhere Especially if you're a podcast listener, I think that you would really enjoy closing your eyes and letting yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. There are hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week so there is always more to explore. They also have wellness sessions to help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash ecochic. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash ecochic. Dipsystories.com slash ecochic. It'll be in the show notes. There is a term here that I want to throw out when we're discussing schools of thought in this space, and that is intersectionality. Intersectionality is a term coined by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, and intersectionality is a term that seeks to understand that there is an interconnected nature of social categorizations, race, class, gender, and they are applying to a given group. They overlap with other independent systems of discrimination or disadvantage. There are multiple reasons that a group can feel and understand oppression in the way that they do. While I am certainly not an expert on intersectionality, I feel the term environmental racism is a really good example of understanding how different groups experience a problem. So racism is a problem and environmental problems are also problems. Not everyone who experiences racism experiences it in the same way. Not everyone who experiences these environmental disadvantages like contaminated air, water, soil are experiencing them in the same way. Environmental racism hopes to overlap those two circles of a Venn diagram and better understand this specific issue and this specific lens of environmental justice. When Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality, from my understanding, a lot of that was through the lens of intersectional feminism. Not all feminists share experiences through the same lens, given race, given class, given gender. 
A group that I really admire is that of the Intersectional Environmentalist, founded by Leah Thomas. I had the pleasure of speaking with Leah Thomas about two years ago almost at this point, and I will go ahead and link her episode in the show notes, breaking down the term intersectional environmentalism. So if you like this episode, I'm sure you're going to like that one. And intersectional environmentalism is a term that, from my understanding, really seeks to support a more inclusive environmental movement, an environmental movement where we can layer on these issues of race and gender and class and all of the other traits that make us who we are and help us perceive the world and supporting those very differing complementary viewpoints when we discuss environmental issues, particularly environmental justice. Better understanding intersectionality allowed me as an individual to better understand what it means to be inclusive in this environmental space, especially when we talk about advocating for people and the planet. There is so much more to the environmental movement than just purely climate solutions. There's a lot of societal issues that need to be tackled first. And how do we best understand communities beyond our own? We need to be including those viewpoints, and we speak very often on this show, on lots of shows, on lots of interviews, that very often the people that need to be at the table are not at the table. And whatever that metaphorical table is, intersectionality allows us to create a space where everyone feels comfortable sharing their viewpoints through the lens of their own experiences. I feel like we've digressed a little bit from the topic of environmental racism, but I really felt called to explain intersectionality and intersectional environmentalism because I think it gives us a much more compassionate basis for understanding environmental racism. Now, we must ask, can we legally combat environmental racism? And the answer is technically yes. We do have legal grounds for battling environmental racism. We have the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Under Title VI, it clearly prohibits racial discrimination by any agency or organization receiving federal funding. So this can be a legal tool for combating environmental injustice, especially in those cases where I mentioned federally subsidized housing and Superfund sites. Any project getting government money should not be discriminating on the basis of race. However, we know should not be doesn't actually always translate to reality. So it is understood that about 95% of claims of Title VI violations against polluters specifically brought forth to the EPA by BIPOC communities are denied. People know environmental racism is happening. They know they are victims to it. And when they try to legally fight for that safety in water and air and land, the United States EPA just kind of steps back. It's not impossible. It can definitely happen to win a case against the EPA when it comes to contamination. I think we could all use a little positivity and optimism in today's episode. So I want to go ahead and remind you of the story of Aaron Brockovich. Perhaps you've heard of it before because there was a fabulous movie put out in the year 2000 starring Julia Roberts on the story of a small town in California, Hinkley, California in the Mojave Desert, where a cancer-causing toxin Hexavalent chromium was found in drinking water of a low-income community. Hexavalent chromium was a pollutant from a plant of the Pacific Gas and Electric Utility. 
the story basically goes Aaron Brockovich is a legal clerk working with a lawyer. Someone comes up to her and says, a lot of my friends in this town are experiencing weird sicknesses. Can you go and check it out? She goes, she starts doing some water testing. And sure enough, this cancer causing toxin is being unregulated and just pumped into this town. The legal team fought this case on behalf of the town of Hinckley, California, and it was successful. And they went ahead and found all these other towns near other Pacific gas and electric utility. And sure enough, they were also experiencing really high levels of toxic runoff in their water. And ultimately, it was the largest class action lawsuit in American history that happened in the late 1990s. So it is not impossible to win a case against the EPA. It's not impossible to fight environmental racism. It's not impossible to prove that BIPOC or low-income communities are experiencing these really high levels of pollution, of contaminated water, of contaminated land. It is just a matter of how determined and how much evidence you have and how much your legal team really wants to fight these people with a lot, a lot of money. I got to take this opportunity to just quickly plug, if you're new to this show, I did indeed have the real Aaron Brockovich here on EcoChic talking about the Hinckley scandal and water contamination in America today. I'm going to go ahead and link that episode in the show notes. It was a major pinch me moment for me as an interviewer just to participate in the conversation. But also as an environmentalist, I feel like these are issues you don't think immediately are happening still today in our community and in our country. But Indeed, we are seeing really high levels of contaminated water and air and land and homes near Superfund sites and unbelievably high levels of childhood asthma and all of the other terrible things that come along with environmental racism in practice. We're still seeing it today. On that note, I'm closing out our talk today there. I appreciate you listening. I hope you learned something from today's episode, learned something valuable. I've mentioned a whole bunch of things that I will be having in the show notes. I really do encourage you to deep dive on some of the topics that I mentioned today. I feel like we ran through a lot. I'll go ahead and share some read-along informational definitions, things like that on social media so that you can follow if you'd like, if you'd like to deep dive on some of these definitions or read the numbers again. It's one of those things that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Environmental racism is very unfortunately all around us. And if you'd like to go one step further, I also feel like this is a concept that is so broad, you can very easily pair it with any other issue that you're passionate about. For example, last year I did a talk with Remake on environmental racism and the fashion industry. You can also do environmental racism and food, environmental racism and energy prices. Seriously, if you are intimidated by the scope of environmental racism, I encourage you to deep dive on this on your own with some other topic that you already deeply care about because it gives you such a perspective that a lot of us just aren't exposed to in our everyday lives. Thanks again so much for listening. Again, my name is Laura. All of my links are in the show notes if you want to ever connect on social. I like to know what you think of episodes. I want to know what you want to hear about in the future. And I really appreciate you hanging out with me. It's really been such a pleasure to hang out with you today. I'll talk to you soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.